Yo, what's up, guys? This is Diamond from Tetrarch, and you're listening to Thunder Underground. Welcome to episode 327 of Thunder Underground Podcast. Trent and Jason here, and this week we've got a pretty cool one because we've got Diamond Row of Tetrarch joining us. Very cool. We talked to her recently about all kinds of stuff that her and that band have going on. If you hadn't heard of them yet, what do you think? I think you're going to, in the next six months to a year, people are going to know this name. Oh, for sure. And I think it would have been bigger if there hadn't been a, you know, a global pandemic and the road hadn't stopped. Yeah. So I think now that things are kind of opening back up, I think the momentum's going to really pick up for them. They're a great fucking band. Yeah, we're going to talk about that here shortly. But first, we need to let you know who we're sponsored by. And that would be DEB Concerts. DEB Concerts has brought a lot of great concerts to the Tulsa area over the past few years. They've got more announcements coming soon, but Rocklahoma is right around the corner. Labor Day weekend, and DEB Concerts promotes and puts together the Roadhouse stage at Rocklahoma every year. This year is no exception. The stage will feature the pre-party. The pre-party at Rocklahoma for all people that have the full weekend passes, whether they be VIP or GA, can go to that pre-show on Thursday that's inside the gates at the Roadhouse stage. That'll feature Stephen Piercy of Rat, along with the Bullet Boys and several other acts. And then throughout the weekend, every day, there's going to be several bands on that stage. And each night, we'll have a headliner. One of the nights will be Puddle of Mud. One of the nights will be the almighty John Five. And the other night was going to be George Lynch and his band Electric Freedom, which is the new name of Lynch Mob. However, George Lynch just recently canceled all his upcoming dates. So we're waiting to hear if DEB Concerts will put a new name in that spot or what's going to happen. But of course, you'll find about it out from us here on the next episode or tune in to DEB Concerts on their website, debconcerts.com, Facebook, DEB Concerts, Twitter and Instagram is at DEB Concerts. So give them a follow, kept up to date on everything, and we'll keep you up to date right here as well. We've also got Hell Hot Hot Sauce, a hot sauce company based out of the San Francisco Bay Area in California. They're a mom and pop style operation that makes small batch artisan hot sauces. We've had the opportunity to try a few of them, and the name Hella Hot is not a joke. This stuff is hella hot. Especially Florida Frank's Florida Heat. Florida Frank of Hate Breed has his own sauce, and that stuff will burn your insides out. But the best part of it is, is it's got some flavor. And that's what I like my hot sauce to have. I don't want it to be hot just for the sake of being hot. So check check that out online at hellahothotsauce.com. You can also follow them on social media. Both Facebook and Instagram is at Hella Hot Hot Sauce. You can buy this stuff in the stores if you're on the West Coast. Anywhere else, get on that website, place an order. They've got other branded items from Ghoul. They have a sauce called Brain Jerk. Techno Destructo has a sauce called Garlic Death Grip. That's my favorite one of the ones I've been able to try, by the way. Zetro of Exodus has a sauce coming very soon. Death Angel also has a sauce that they're working on right now with Hell Hot. So be on the lookout for all that. And of course, we'll be telling you about it as soon as it happens. So huge thank you to Hell Hot Hot Sauce. We've also got Sunset Tattoo. It's a tattoo shop located in Tulsa, Oklahoma. They're in the Midtown area of Tulsa, Oklahoma. Jake has been doing tattoos for over 25 years. He's got an amazing shop there. 
He does amazing work. His tattoos are done good and proper. Of course, he's state licensed, and most importantly, his mother approved. I have had tattoo work done by Jake. I'm very happy with it. I know several other people that have as well. You can see photos of his work at Instagram, at Sunset Tattoo Tulsa, and on Facebook, same thing, Sunset Tattoo Tulsa. Check out all those photos, see what kind of work Jake does, then give him a call or shoot him an email. Line up a time so you can talk to him about what work you need to have done, and he'll get it done for you. So a huge thank you to Jake at Sunset Tattoo. Finally, we've got MedFarm, a dispensary located in Broken Arrow, Oklahoma, 24683 East Highway 51. They're right off the highway. You can't miss them. They've got a drive through which is very cool. Most dispensaries don't have that option. So if you call ahead, text ahead, email, you can place your order that way and then go right through that drive through and pick it up and be right on your way. But you can also go in and check out their selection. If you want to check it out before you go in, leafly.com is where they have their selection listed. They've got a huge selection, and they're always running great specials. Check them out on Facebook, MedFarm, that's P-H-A-R-M. Instagram is MedFarmOK, and their website is MedFarmOK.com. A special that is always running is if you mention us, mention Thunder Underground, they'll give you 10% off your first order. That's very cool, so just tell them you heard about them here. Mention our name, they give you that discount. But the most important thing is MedFarm is cannabis with a cause. 30% of their proceeds. Not 5%, 10%, 20%, 30%, nearly a third of everything they make goes to build no-kill animal shelters. That's a huge thing. Because there is, I don't know if there's any in this area, I think there's one. And they're building, you know, they've got one almost ready to go. And I think they're not going to stop there. I know they've partnered with some places. These guys really care about the animals. So if you're anywhere in the Tulsa area, it's worth your time to drive over here instead of the one, you know, that's around the block from you. This place is only about a quarter mile from where I live. But even if I lived 25 miles away and I needed to head to a dispensary, that's the one I would go to. So get yourself over there. Help the animals. Help support this business from some great Oklahoma owners, and of course, tell them you heard about them right here on Thunder Underground. All right, before we get into our talk with Diamond, we've uh, we're here again to talk about some people that we lost. Right? Yeah, it was a brutal month for that kind of shit, man. Yeah, you remember this? It made me think of uh, I think it was 2016, wasn't it? Yeah, well, there's wasn't like, that like the everybody year? seemed to fucking die like every yeah. five minutes. Yeah, you had major artists going like well, Lemmy right at the end of 2015, and you had like. Glenn Fry and Prince. Prince and Tom Petty and yeah, I remember there were still dudes in like the metal world too. I'm just trying to remember those like right huge significant names, but it all happened in the span of like six to eight months. Yeah, yeah, it was it was crazy. And in this, the guys we're about to talk about happened in the span of less than a week. Yeah, and that even includes Jeff Labar, that we already kind of spoke about here a couple weeks ago, and Gary Corbett, also from Cinderella, and then shortly after that we lost Mike Howe. Of Metal Church, and then Joey Jordanson of Slipknot and Sinsanum, and then, of course, the mighty Dusty Fuel of ZZ Top. Yeah, yeah. Terrible shit, man. Yeah. I mean, that's a... I mean, even if you're just like a mainstream fan, you know the three names of those bands, but those three guys are all significant yeah. in, the, in their areas. 
You know, I mean, we all know how significant Dusty Hill is. Right, right. But when it comes to, I don't even know which one to start with. Let's start with Joey. Right, Joey Jordison, Slipknot. He hadn't been in the band for, what, 10 years, but yeah. still, he was such a revered musician and such an amazing drummer that, like, his, you know, his pull still carried, you know? Yeah, his footprint was all over that. Band. Right, right. Yeah, and that's, that's the thing I, I just wanted to say about him is that if you listen to metal, you know, whether you're a fan of Slipknot or not, it's one of those guys that you know this guy's at the top of his game. Yeah. I remember, didn't he fill in one time for Lars at a Metallica show, like, at, on no notice? Yeah, on no notice. Because, like, some... Because it was I, such a, it was such a, I can't exactly remember, it was such a... Um, uh, some emergency that Lars... Emergency deal. And so, uh, you know... But but then again, you know, if you're if you're in that world, true. But you, you could probably go and pull off a couple of the basic Metallica songs, you know. Yeah, but I mean, most drummers could, especially at that talent level, right? But usually, if they've got a few hours to practice, they can get that shit down. For someone to go in and say, "Well, here's the 18 songs we're playing over the next two and a half hours," right? And you well, have no time to get, run through it. That to me is even wa- right. more wildly impressive than just anyone filling in for. Well, anyone. that was that was when Metallica did a shortened set. They had Lombardo do some stuff and oh, okay. Jordison do some stuff. Okay. So uh, I know um, I'm pretty sure they each did a few songs. I I'm not I can't remember totally, but okay. like, but it's just you know one of those one of those things you know you just plug them right in and. For someone to be able to do that's amazing. Yeah. And this guy should go down in history as one of the greatest drummers in metal history. In my opinion. Right, right. I mean, and that's, I mean, that's just for a skill level. I mean, you look at like the theatrics and what, at, what he's like kind of known for with like the rotating drum set that obviously, you know, Tommy Lee was doing first. But right. So he brought it into a new era. Right. For kids that weren't paying attention to Molly Crew. Exactly. Exactly. And, you know, look, look at the guys playing. It's like fucking robotic. Yeah. Um, kind of like, uh, you know, the only other guy that I could think that does it probably better is Mike Mangini. And that guy's like the best drummer on the planet. And Joey Jordison had that kind of thing where it looked, it didn't, it didn't look human. You know, that's how fucking good he was. Yeah. Well, and in recent years, he's been in Sinsanum with, uh, we had Fred Lecklerk on the podcast here late last year part of that band but yeah i mean that's a a huge loss especially what he was like our age right when he like 40, 40 46 okay yeah i mean yeah. all these guys we're talking about are too young to be passing away but especially you know in your 40s then. right there's another one a huge loss to the metal world and send out positive vibes to his family and friends and former and current bandmates for sure then we've got mike howe of Metal Church. And this is Metal Church, you know, admittedly, I think we even talked about this. You know, I didn't ever get back into them back in the day because they were kind of one of those metal bands that were like right ahead of us. Right. Right ahead when we got into metal. Yep, exactly. And then obviously we kind of got into them later. Yeah. And that's one of those bands, like kind of like you've mentioned in recent years with Sacred Reich, that when you vi- revisit them, yeah. you're like, man, where the fuck was I yeah, in the well, early 90s? Yeah, right? I fell asleep on this shit. What was my problem? <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, totally. So what are your thoughts on Mike Howe as just a vocalist? And- uh, it's just, you know, uh, you know, unique voice. And 
uh, just one of those. It, it makes me sad that it was just one of those that I didn't get into sooner and get into more, really, you know, and uh, just way too young, 55. Um, and it sounded, you know, we don't know all the details, but it sounds, sounds like it went down pretty tragic. So uh, who knows? You know, it's just, it's terrible. Yeah. It's also, I mean, even though they weren't like a mainstream name currently, I mean, they're, they've always been touring and doing shows and they've always been revered as one of those classic bands from the, the heyday of metal in the 80s, you know? Right, yeah. I mean, <clears throat> you know, uh, you know, it was clubs here, but, you know, they were always on the <clears throat> big festivals in Europe. That's right. A huge last there and finally we've got Dusty Hill, which I was thinking of things to say. I don't even know where to begin with this. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, because... That guy has, I mean, I've always looked at him as my favorite member of ZZ Top, and I don't really remember why, just kind of growing up. Yeah. And, and then after seeing that documentary that um, Sam Dunn, um, what's the name of his company? Banger Films. Yeah, Banger Films put out the year before last, or right. um, called That Little Band from Texas. Watching that solidified to me yeah. that he was my favorite member. But then on top of that, my favorite all-time ZZ Top song is Tush. Yeah. And he, he sings sang that. It, yeah. And there's several other songs, Beer Drinkers and Hellraisers. Yep. Your least favorite party on the patio. Right, right. These songs that I freaking love are all sung by Dusty. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I mean, it's just, uh, uh, it, you know, and I know he was 72, but it was so sudden because there's no reports of anything. I mean, you know, he had missed a couple of shows, but you don't think death, you know, right when you yeah. hear that, you know. Because he so missed him for like, what, a hip injury? Yeah, it was yeah, it was super sudden, and it's just one of those things where I'm so glad I got to see ZZ Top. Yeah, and it's just this is, you know, we can talk about how sad we all are. We can talk about how tragic it is, but you know, the the older these guys get, the more this is going to happen, and we just have to deal with it and be prepared for it. You know, yeah, it, it's you know what we're what we're saying and feeling about it, it's nothing compared to their families. So it, it's just one of those things we have to deal with. Yeah. Uh, you know, and uh, 72, man, I mean, it, it's amazing to be playing that long. Yeah. Um, you know, it's like fucking Charlie Watts is 80 and just now missing shows. Yeah. You know, and it's like, God damn, when I'm 80, I think I'm just going to go to the house. Yeah, I know. You know, hell, I already spend most of my time at the house. I can't right. imagine traveling all around the world when I'm 80. Fuck that. Yeah. And then moving around for Two or three hours. A yeah, night, yeah, exactly. <laughs> I mean, it's these guys are powerhouses. They really are. Yeah. So, I mean, you know, this is this is just the reality of it. And for ZZ Top, I mean, that was their entire life. Right. I mean, they'd been a band for over fifty years, and I mean, so you're looking at late teens, where right when they started. Yep. So their entire that's the entire adult life was in this band. Yeah. Doing this, and they did it consistently. Yeah. And. It's a bit, it was cool to see all the, you know, like there always is if there's someone with a big name dies. There was a big outpouring and tons of people I saw, like musicians saying, well, I remember, you know, Toby Bean from Formerly of Street Dog mentioned that he thought he was the greatest bass player in rock history. Right, right. And, you know, because, I mean, those are those are big words when you think of some of the guys out there. Yeah. But, and everybody's well, talking you know, about how well he held down the bottom end. and Yeah, really... when, when you're a three-piece, there's a lot of space and a lot of air. Yeah. And, you know, you've got to fill you've got to fill up a lot of space, and you've got to hold a lot of shit down. Because yeah. uh, yeah. everything is, is, you know, 
so much more under a microscope. So it really shows, you know, his talent. Yeah. And finally, I saw, I sent you that article, that interview that Billy Gibbons did a few right. days after he passed away. Yeah. And he so mentioned that, was, that. Which is great. Yeah. That was a great read. He mentioned that a story, like, I don't remember how long ago it was on what album, but that they were, you know, Dusty had laid down his bass parts and, and left the studio. Yeah. And like left town, I think, as far right. as what he said. And then he said there was like two bars that were missing. And they're like, well, that's easy two bars. And then, but he said they didn't want to cut and paste it. And he said that he tried it. The producer tried it. And he said everybody in the room tried it and no one could match that sound. He's like, well, I guess we got to call back Dusty for these two bars. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. That just shows you, you know. Yeah. But anyway, yeah. Much love to ZZ Top. It looks like they're going to continue. And, uh, at least the the guy that got in there was, you know, been a part of the group for quite a while. Yeah, their guitar tech and knows that stuff inside and out. And that's even what uh, Billy said that Dusty mentioned to him whenever he was in the hospital with the hip thing. Right. To get him to fill in on those shows. Yeah. So. And he had grown a beard in this past year, so <laughs> it all works out <laughs> visually, you know. <laughs> and sadly, a few years from now, if they're playing a show, there's going to be, you know, just random fans in the crowd who... Don't even know. Yeah, yeah, I know. That it's not the three yeah, original guys. Exactly. Anyway. Exactly. <laughs> All right, on to happier times, and that's music from Tetrarch. This band kind of, they I mean, they've been around a while, but they kind of, yeah, for lack of a better term, exploded onto the scene here in this past year, year and a half. Right. And we talked about it here in this interview with her that we saw several bands gain a lot of steam right before the pandemic. And then that got obviously kind of tabled. Yeah. But Tetrarch used that time and they've gotten bigger during the pandemic. Yeah. Why wouldn't you? Yeah. They've done what other bands should have done or tried to do and failed to do. I don't know. But yeah. if you listen to Sirius, if you listen to Liquid Metal All, you've heard Tetrarch by now. Right. Because they're all over the place on there, as they should be. And I mean, they get thrown in. Another thing we talked about, they get lumped into that new metal category, but they're, they're embracing it, you know, as yeah. well, because they're fans in that era. Vocally, he sounds a lot like that era, but musically, I don't think it's constricted straight to that. I mean, they're no, they're a, they've got a good reach, and they're. I just well, look at them as a great metal band. Yeah, you know? and just the fact that you know, uh, she's a amazing lead player. Yeah, you know, automatically puts puts them above most new metal bands. Yeah, you know, in, in that in that if you're talking about that, if you're on that conversation, so. true. Can you even name? Outside of West Borland, can you name an amazing lead player from <laughs> I don't know. Well, it's, I'm sure there know, is. Well, just, well, here's one, Mark Rizzo, but he never really, did he ever really well, use true. that? That's true. You know, I mean, in. Dude, it, I want to go on a tangent real quick. Yeah, the whole soulfly <laughs> thing. And and it's really, it, it depends on, you know, the, the kind of music, which I, I'm really going off here. But, like, let's let's think about Weezer, you know. Most people don't know that Rivers Cuomo is a motherfucking shredder, yeah. like to the umpteenth degree. But you wouldn't know that because you know when, when is there room for that in a Weezer? Right. So I mean, not to say that you know there's better bands in Weezer, or there's shittier bands in Weezer. Well, I know what you're saying. It's they, just they for that for that role that they genre. Play to that style. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. I mean, look at Mark Tremonti with. With Creed. Yeah, 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 yeah. Totally. I mean, he had perfect, That's a better example than Rivers Cuomo. Yeah, totally. He had solos, but he didn't bust loose until that first Alterbridge album. Right, right, right. Yeah. Real quick, my tangent about Mark Rizzo. 
is if you hadn't seen, he's not in Soulfly anymore. And now Dino from yeah. Fear Factory. He's going to play those fucking solos. Yeah. <laughs> like Dino has amazing. Yeah. I love don't his, get me wrong. I love his guitar sound and his riffs yeah. and all, but to he, me, he, yeah, his right hand is like a machine. Yeah, but that's not that's not Soulfly. But right. it'd be interesting to hear how he oh, forms it in the Soulfly. I know. I know. But my point is with this, as much as I like Dino, outside of all the the BS of the past year or so with Fear Factory, mm-hmm. Mark Rizzo is the only reason. And as much as I hold Max Cavalier in high regard in the metal world, right. Mark Rizzo is the reason Soulfly was any good in the past 10 to 15 years because they came out as what they were, which was cool. They were a mix of the Sepultura vibe and New Metal vibe. And then they kind of got too far into that. And then when Rizzo came on, it pulled them back into just being a straight-up metal band. Right. And their last few albums really showed that. And seeing them live, it was excellent. So I'm just... Yeah, we'll see how this yeah, plays out. See if it if it's, knows. if it's good, if it's bad, whatever. I know. And good luck to Rizzo and what he's shows he's already doing some stuff or announcing some stuff. So, but back to the topic at hand, Diamond Row. Should we just jump into this? I think so. All right, here's Diamond Row of Tetrarch. seen of it has been amazing like have you guys pretty happy with the critical response to this thing uh yeah i mean it's kind of crazy because we um we've first knock on wood because i don't want to jinx anything um but we we've been doing really good for the last couple of years just with like press in general and like magazine and stuff like just have really positive things to say about us which is you know like you always hope for but I don't expect it because you know especially like we're we're like one of those metal bands where we like we're like one of those like crossover metal bands so like you know like you know metal publications and like guitar publications and stuff sometimes aren't the nicest to bands like that right, um right. but but for us it's crazy because like everything's been so positive especially for like our first like you know label full length but you know our second full length you know in total but like all the reviews were a lot better than we, cause we were kind of nervous about it. We we're like, oh, I don't know what they're going to say, but we're, yeah, we're definitely happy, happy with it. You know, we didn't know what to expect really. What do you feel is the biggest progression, um, from freak to now to the new one? Um, you know, with freak, it was one of those things where with that album, we kind of like consciously took a shift. We had like, we tell everybody a lot. Like when Josh and I started Tetrarch in like high school, middle school, we were like, a thrash band completely like we sounded like you know rest in peace megadeth like (laughs) the straight thrash like long solo sections 30 riffs in a song um and then you know as time went on we started kind of slowly becoming like a metal chorus type band but with freak um we kind of that's kind of like when we took the conscious effort to like try to do things we've always wanted to try and not worry about uh what other people thought about it and we saw it kind of work, like things like different vocal styles, adding weird guitar sounds, different grooves, not just playing like every song at 220 BPM or whatever. Um, and 
we saw it kind of worked and it seemed like it resonated with people. I think it gave us the confidence with Unstable to like to just go jump in head first with all those type of things and not worry about it and just say like, okay, it worked on Freak, so let's do it tenfold on this one and just you know not be it. it, it like I said, it just kind of gave us the confidence. So like, we feel like Unstable was kind of a continuation of Freak, but like maybe with a little bit better songwriting better production, um, catchier, you know, stuff like that. So, Right, right. Well, you know, for, from thrash to freak to unstable, that's growth. <laughs> and that's that's experimentation. And uh, I, I think that's great that you guys are getting an early start on that. I think that'll benefit you in the future, hopefully. Oh, yeah. We, we, we've definitely always been a band. We don't want to, like, box ourselves into anything because we all have different influences, but, you know, like, when I first started playing guitar, I was a huge thrash head, like, you know, and I'm, me and Ruben, our drummer, are like the heavier ones in the band, like, we love the heavy, you know, Lamb of God, Gojira, like, that's all our stuff, but Josh and our bass player, Ryan, they're more on the rock side, they like, like, you know, Pearl Jam, and, you know, Rise Against, and, like, just bands like that, so it kind of helps us a lot, but it helps us not to get stuck in a rut, you know, with things, because we always have, like, a bag of tricks to pull from. As far as the writing process goes, is that like a band effort or do you guys kind of do that on your own and bring stuff together? How does that all work? Uh, generally, it's it starts with Josh or, or I. Um, we might have a riff or like a whole basic song structure or um, something like that. And we'll bring it to the other one and him and I will kind of go through it and get it to if we can get it to a point where it seems like it's like gonna be a a good song um we take it to ryan and ruben and then they kind of put their spin on it to make it like a a tetrarch song but usually it starts with josh or me coming up with something and getting together and kind of hashing it out hashing out the basics of it i mean i guess you kind of answered that as far as like the riffs go when you guys bring them together are you always kind of building on each other's stuff or are you is it like, can you hear a song and say, well, this is my song or this is Josh's song as far as the riff goes? Uh, it, it, it depends. Um, it's different. Sometimes there have been some songs where like I will get a riff or two and then get stuck and he'll come in and add riffs and like we'll meld them together and it becomes a song. And there's some songs where me or him will come up with the entire song um, and you know, it'll be, it, the other one will say, this is sick, and it'll stay as is, you know, like, some examples will be, like, uh, Negative Noise on our record, or our song Unstable, um, I think those two I came with, to him, with them, like, completely done, for the most part, musically, or same with him, and, like, you never listen, it's kind of like, we'll come to each other with it, that it's almost kind of done, and then we, we add our spin, like, I'll put leads on it, or something, um, but it just depends. It's different all the time. And then there's other songs um, like trying to think of a good example um, on the record, like take a look inside or something like that, where, you know, I'll have one of the riffs and then he'll throw in some of the riffs and we just kind of mix them together like that. So it really, it could be anything. It depends. Well, you guys have been playing together, you and Josh for what, 13, 14 years. Like how, how do you feel you guys compliment each other as guitarists? Um, I mean, you know, it's crazy because I can't imagine, like, being in a band with anyone else, like, playing guitar with them. Um, Because I met Josh when I was 11, it's kind of like, 
one of those things where, you know, we, me and him have only ever been in this band, you know, and he's not only like my partner in my career, you know, but he's also like my best friend. He's my brother. So, um, it makes everything so much easier, you know, for, we, we definitely compliment each other really well because like I hate everything and he loves everything. So like <laughs> he'll, he'll write a song and it'll literally be the worst song ever. And I'm like, Josh, this is so bad. And he like needs me to tell him that so he can like stop working on it. There's one in particular from this record. He was like trying to hash out this really bad riff. And like with these, like, it sounded like something out of Crash Bandicoot, the video game or something. And, and like, <laughs> I heard him in his room because like we lived together. I heard him in his room working on this riff for hours. And he, and I'm, I just go in there like, Josh, that's so bad. That's so bad. And he's like, is it bad? I'm like, it's so bad. But then like for days, he came to me with the riff in like different forms. I'm like, let's get rid of that dude. He's like, oh, okay. But like, it's the same with me. Like, I will throw out songs before I'm even done with him. And he'll be like, no, that's super cool. Like, don't throw it out yet. And I'm like, oh, I don't know. So it's like, we really balance each other out like that and, and, and help each other get a lot done. So so it's it's good to have him there, you know, for support in, in several ways. Right, right. Yeah. Knowing him that long, you guys probably know exactly what each other's thinking and what you're going to do next, you know, musically. Oh, yeah. Yeah, definitely. It's, you know, he'll he'll come to me sometimes people like i know you're gonna hate this but and he'll like show it to me and a lot of times he's right but sometimes he's wrong you know so i'm like no i think that's amazing so like he knows me better than i know myself and vice versa i think just because like i said we've known each other for going on you know almost 20 years now so it's 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 been a crazy journey but like i wouldn't pick anyone else you know to have started it with does he handle all the lyrics or do you guys share that responsibility or how's that work um we he does the majority of it but we like he'll come to me like if he's stuck on a line or something like that I'll help him um continue it or help him like you know when he's stuck in ruts and me and him usually will discuss like song topics first together or like the direction we see lyrically a song going in um and then he'll he'll kind of take it up take off running with it lyrically I'm more, I help him more with like arrangements vocally um, than I do with the actual like lyrics um, and like melodies and stuff like that, which is cool. But he's pretty good about just, you know, once he has a set idea and we have like a theme, he's pretty good at, at taking it and running with it. Yeah. So, you know, everything's kind of opening back up now. You, you guys mm-hmm. have the Atreyu tour, Virgo's Cruise, Incarceration. Um, talk about how that feels finally to be able to start doing this and, you know, with this new album out. Um, I mean, it's, it's awesome because, you know, we started writing unstable at at the beginning of 2019, started recording it at the end of 2019, finished it at the beginning of 2020, literally like a month before everything shut down. So it was one of those things where we were like, Oh God, like what, what are we going to do? Because we saw, you know, some, some of our peers like other bands put out records you know early last year and like they kind of lost the record because there's nothing you could they could do they couldn't tour on it um luckily we were fortunate enough to come up with a plan um with our singles and everything that kind of took us to being able to release the record only a few months out from touring coming back you know we obviously we didn't know we we guessed but it seemed like we did a pretty decent job guessing um yeah 
I mean, none of us had dealt with a pandemic before, so uh, we had to do what we could and try to adapt, but we've always seen ourselves as as a live band. Um, We've been playing live since our middle school talent shows to local venues to people's backyards and music stores to festivals just everywhere, so like, it's what we like to do the most, and I feel like we sell ourselves the best on stage, so... We're really excited to get back out and be able to do that, especially with these new songs. So side question for you. When you played those middle school talent shows, you remember what songs you played? <laughs> um, so, <laughs> so I think uh, there's a couple I remember. I remember American Idiot uh, <laughs> by Green Day. I remember playing um, Metallica's version of Turn the Page. Uh, I remember playing, we actually had like two original songs back then. Um, I think we played like one or one of those. Um, and let's see, was there anything? Oh, Rocket in a Free World. Nice. Uh, That's an easy one. That's always a good one to play. (laughs) Exactly. It's only a couple chords and you know. Uh, Hey, I haven't played that song in years and I could play it for you all the way through right now. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) (laughs) So you can imagine when you're like 13 years old and then stuff, it's pretty, uh, you feel pretty good. You're like, man, we kicked ass, but you know, who knows? Um, (laughs) But I think those are about it that we did. We went to like a, private christian school so like we were very limited to like what we could actually play at the talent show but i think we made it work yeah (laughs) (laughs) that uh that atreyu package is pretty strong with you guys crown the empire and saul what are your feelings about that pack that touring lineup and the other bands on it oh i'm pretty excited about it i think it should be a good one we um we actually did like didn't know saul was going to be on it until after we were um, which was cool because once we looked at the whole bill, it was like a lot of bands that were being pushed, you know, all of us are being pushed pretty strong at Octane, um, which is really cool. We've known of and known the Saul guys for a little bit now. Um, and I tell you, like, we just met them on a stream personally, but they seem super cool, uh, like super cool guys. And like, you know, I've been listening to a Treyu since, you know, high school. So it should be, it'll be cool. I think it seems like everybody on the tour is, is fun. Crown the Empire, everybody seems like they're looking to have a good time and, and play some good shows. So we're looking forward to it. So we're kind of playing into what you kind of mentioned a minute ago with 2020. A lot of bands I saw, you know, kind of picked up steam right before the pandemic hit and then it hit and everything kind of stalled. But mm-hmm. when, in your guys' position, it seemed like the opposite. Like 2020, you guys kind of became a bigger name during the pandemic and momentum kind of picked up? Like, what do you attest that to? You know, it was, uh, you know, it was kind of us sitting back and being like in any industry or in anything you do that you want to be successful, but especially the music industry because the entertainment industry, because it's so unpredictable most of the time, um, you got to like kind of learn how to adapt with any situation. So we just kind of said, you know, Let's try our best to take this time, and when we come back, when everything comes back to normal, try to get it to where we're in a better spot then than we are now. So, like, we were like, how can we do that? So, you know, we put out I'm Not Right, uh, which is the first single we put out in May last year, and... I knew it would do good, because, like, that's my favorite song on the record. I knew it would do, it would do good. Um, I wasn't expecting it to do as good as it did. I'm glad it did. Um, 
But, you know, usually with, like, a heavier song, a heavy single, you get about a month out of that track before you kind of, it's time to release, like, another track. Um, But what's crazy, it was, like, it was, that song was the gift that kept on giving. It was, like, we put it out, it got a bunch of playlists. Then after that, you know, we got Liquid Metal. But then it went to Octane, and then, you know, they continue going and continue getting press, and then it, it happened to cross over to Active Rock. Um, then it went up those charts and ended up being, like, a top 25 song or something. So it was, like, that song took us from May <laughs> of last year all the way until February of this year. Like, literally, the life of that song was so long. Um and then we were able to put out You Never Listen after that. So it was that song really helped us because it helped us continue to generate just new, it, like even we're like a newer band to a lot of people and we're still growing, but there's still millions of people who haven't heard us. So like every day, more and more people were hearing of us from that song. Um, and it helped us really be able to just, you know, get the most out of each single. We, we learned that, like, let's try to get the most out of each single possible. Um, and build anticipation for this record instead of just throwing the writing, taking a long time to write a record and just putting it out and being like, here you go, guys. Like, we wanted to build some anticipation for the record. We wanted people to be excited for it. Um, and I think that helped us, too. You know, that helped a lot of people learn about who we were, a lot of press pick up on our band and what we were doing and us as guitar players and all of that. So it was, it was just really cool. And it gave us time to just, like I said, milk it and get as much out of it as possible. I've seen that, like, Guitar World and some other media outlets have kind of brought you guys up as the, the kind of the resurgence of new metal. Uh, mm-hmm. does, does that bother you, or are you okay with that? Um, so, there's two ways to look at it. And when we were coming up, when we were in middle school and preteens and all of that, that, like, at that time, I, no one was really like, at least I don't remember, you know, new metal, new metal, new metal, like, it was a name, but it was more so, like, the hard rock and metal that was out at the time, like, that, that's what it was, like, so, we were listening to Mudvayne, and Deftones, and Slipknot, and Korn, and Linkin Park, and all those bands were reigning supreme, um, but now, you know, it kind of, you know, Elitist, and a lot of other people, they've kind of given it this, like, bad connotation, you know, when a stigma, when you hear it, they just instantly think Limp Bizkit or something, which I love Limp Bizkit, but whatever. Uh, Same here, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, I I love Limp Bizkit, so so at first, we didn't really, we kind of were like, uh, even though we knew we took a lot of influences from those bands, and we love those bands, first we were just like, uh, we just don't want people to call us that, because, like, it instantly turns people off. But then, like, all these major magazines and stuff just started pumping it out, like, Touch Arts, the leaders of the new metal, Resurgence, all this stuff. And then we were just like, you know what, fuck it. Like, if they want to call us that, that's fine. They're talking about us. We're stoked. The people who are mad about it are sitting in their rooms typing on their grandma's computer anyway. I don't really care. So <laughs> we just, we were just, we kind of, like, came to this conclusion where we were just like, it's fine. They can call us what they want, you know, um, and so now it doesn't it doesn't bother us at, it doesn't bother us at all. So it's fine. We're we're stoked about it. Like we never set out to be like the leaders of a new metal thing or anything like that. We're just tetrarch and we play what we love. And if it sounds new metal, then 
new metal we are, I guess. I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) The other thing I've seen a lot of interviews, you've mentioned like influences like Kirk Hammett and Slash and Jim Root. Like, Mm -hmm. what is it that got you into guys like that, hard rock or metal at a young age? Yeah, um, when I started playing guitar, I was more so into guitar players that, you know, we're kind of like your larger than life guitar players. And I think a lot of that has been lost now, which kind of bums me out. But like when I, you know, years ago you had your guitar players like Zach Wilde and Dimebag and Slash and like these guitar players, they were like your guitar heroes, you know, like kids went to shows to see their favorite band, to see the singer, but they went to see that guitar player too. Like no one went to see Pantera and wasn't like, I want to see Dimebag too. You know what I'm saying? Like they had, big a lot of character they were original they did things different you know and I was into players like that and I've always wanted to be like a player like that myself like when people come out to see Tetrarch you know they want to they want to see Diamond play guitar as well it's not just like like now where I feel like there's so many bands and they're amazing musicians in a lot of these bands today but you don't even know their name. Like I like I there's so many new bands who like guitar players, drummers, I have no idea what their name is and just know them as this band. Um so I, I thought that era was really cool about guitar players and that's and that those are the players that essentially taught me to play guitar because I played music, I played their songs to practice, you know, like Metallica and Megadeth and Testament and you know, Slayer and Lamb of God and all of them. Those are the guys I was playing to learn how to play. So they were my just my biggest influences. Did you have someone close to you, like a family member or a friend, that got you into guitar in the first place? No, actually, um, my dad. Both my parents are like pretty close in like in music. Like my dad's been in the music business forty years. He, but he's like an arena tour promoter, and he basically did, he worked with like Michael Jackson, Prince, like a lot of oh wow people like that doing tours like that but he can't play an instrument save his life he doesn't know the difference between a guitar and a ukulele it just, <laughs> it's just not um my mom she's a very good singer like her family great singer she sang backup for artists in the 80s and um but she doesn't play any like physical instruments or anything um but when i just when i started getting into hard rock and and metal I just wanted to play guitar. It was just something that I, like, I, I tell people a lot when I got in, whenever as a kid I got into a hobby or I got into something, I didn't just, like, want to watch it. Like, when I got into hockey, I wanted to play hockey. And when I got into motocross, I wanted to ride dirt bikes. Like, so I've never, like, been a bystander. So when I got into rock and metal, I was like, all right, I want to play guitar. Um, right. And that's just, the, that's the one that stuck and that I just had so much passion for. I, I know Unstable's out on vinyl, uh, that's got to be pretty cool to see your album on vinyl. And I mean, are you into that kind of stuff? Do you have records or? Um, to be honest, <laughs> what's really funny about that is when Napalm, we were talking to them about like how many vinyls, you know, we wanted to send out for some of our pre-orders and how many we needed and all that. I'm just like, uh, I don't know, like 50, you know, like <laughs> I'm just like, you know, I knew, I was like, who listens to vinyls? You know, I'm so I guess I'm still behind. And it like our vinyls were just selling like crazy. And I'm like, oh my God, like <laughs> what did we get enough vinyls? And it, it they literally sold so much. They sold out really fast. And I it really like exceeded my expectation of vinyls. Like I'm like, this is a new thing for me. So no, I 
I have like I didn't know I don't have a record player. I, <laughs> I think I need to get one now because now I have Tetron vinyls that you right. know are kind of cool. Um, <laughs> well, the, but, the red uh, and black ones sold out like that. <laughs> exactly, that's what I'm saying. And like people are emailing me all the all the time, emailing us um, our merchandise guy asking when these red and black vinyls are coming back. So I'm asking <laughs> Napalm, like, dude, can we get some more of these? Because I people are like so bummed out. They sold out so fast. And I'm just like, I didn't know. I know now, but I didn't know. So I think I need to get I need to catch up and get a record player myself. I don't <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, definitely before you guys get on back out on tour, because I've seen that it seems like these days people will scoop that stuff up at a merch table as well. Oh yeah, yeah, definitely, and and you know our merch sells pretty good already, but I think those vinyls will probably do really good, especially live. Well, as far as this past year and a half, outside of you know you guys, you know promoting the the new songs and the album coming, like how did you spend twenty twenty with your personal time with the downtime of not touring? Yeah, I mean, you know, we it was a lot, a lot of work leading up, you know, doing everything with the record and the record promotion and making content, shooting all the videos. But in between there, we did get to spend a little bit more time at home, hanging out with family and stuff than we usually would. Uh, we were in Georgia for um, a few months, actually, just hanging out, something we never really get a chance to do. We're usually in L.A., like, you know, doing everything we have to do. So that was nice. Um Josh, his dad is a golf, like golf pro, so he grew up like playing a lot of golf, and he kind of found refound his love for golf. So he plays golf every morning at like six a.m. <laughs> and when I say every morning, I mean five to six days a week. Wow. Uh, I go fishing a good bit. I love the bass fish. Um, our drummer, he has become like a paintball aficionado. He played like a paintball tournament yesterday. Like, so <laughs> weird. But he's all about paintball. Um, and like our, our bass player, he he loves like rock climbing and like, you know, staying active with stuff like that. So he's been doing a lot of that, like bouldering and stuff. So like, we just were doing like a lot of like strange hobby things that we love to do and hanging out with family in the little moments we could when we weren't like working, you know, <laughs> working on the band stuff. Right. Very cool. Yeah. Well, I appreciate you taking the time with us today. We both love your new album and looking forward to hopefully seeing you on tour. Oh, thank you guys so much. Thank you for having me. And yeah, definitely. Hopefully uh, we'll see. You. Where are you guys at? We're in Tulsa, Oklahoma. Oh yeah. Well, you'll, you'll be seeing us there shortly. I'm sure. <laughs> Can't wait. Yeah, right. we love play. We love playing like that part of the country too. The shows are always so so sick. So we're looking forward to it. There you go, Diamond Row of Tetrarch. A huge thank you to John Freeman of Freeman Promotions for his continued support of this podcast, and a massive thank you to Diamond for giving us a call and taking some time there to talk about all kinds of stuff. Their new album that she was talking about, Unstable, is out now. Do yourself a favor, get online. Give that thing a listen if you have not heard it yet. And then, of course, purchase it right after that, of course. So, yeah, check out Tetrarch and let them know you heard about him here if you had not heard about him before this. But this is your first time listening. We appreciate it because we've got tons of other metal artists throughout the years that have been on here. We just had D. Snyder on last week. Fuck yeah. But, yeah, and I mean, if you're one of those people who are like, oh, 
D. Snyder, that's not metal. Well, it is. <laughs> Twisted Sister was even on the heavier side of that genre. Exactly. And then what D. Snyder is doing now is produced by Jamie Josta. He's got guys like Corpse Grinder, Mark Morton, all kinds of people on his last two albums. Yep. So that's metal. So yeah. fuck you. Yeah. And it's fucking great. But I mean, just jump in there. We've got stuff from guys in Seven Dust, Typo Negative, Prong, Corrosion Informity, Testament. We even get into the glam side of things with Great White, Warrant, Firehouse, Tesla, Junkyard, LA Guns. We've had on members of Def Leppard, Guns N' Roses, Glenn Hughes, and Gene Simmons have been on here. So, you've got tons of stuff you can check out. BeatThunderUnderground.com. All the socials are there. Check all those out. Follow, like, all that great stuff. And coming up next week, should we announce right here what the next episode is? Or do, you want, next or do you want the next episode to just be a surprise when it comes back? Uh, it'll have to be a surprise. Okay. Okay. <laughs> All right. The next episode is a surprise. There you go. <laughs> but until then, a huge thank you once again to Freeman Promotions, Diamond Row, Hell Hot Hot Sauce, DEB Concerts, Med Farm, and Sunset Tattoo. And until next time. Thunder Underground, y'all.